Good evening, Newark, and welcome back once. We are delighted to have you here on our Friday evening broadcast. Today is July 17th, 2020, and we're excited for another Friday night with friends. Tonight, we have both Pastor Meg and Pastor Arash on the line with me and their friend Alicia, who should be joining us any moment. And they are going to interview her, and I'm going to get out of the way. Good evening, Alicia. Welcome to our broadcast. Hi. Delighted to have you join us. Thank you. And without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Meg and Arash, and they are going to introduce their friend. I will be back later. Bye, Desi. Thank, Thank you. you so much for the intro. I'm um, so glad to have Alicia here. Uh, Alicia Montoya. I, I knew her as Alicia Stevens. Uh, she's a longtime amazing friend. I've known her for a gazillion years. Um, <laughs> her grandfather was my home pastor. Um, that's where I kind of grew up and that's where I was saved. And um, Did you say Michigan? in Michigan, that's true. I was uh, in Michigan, Lansing, Michigan. We both graduated from our uh, alma mater, the Spartans. Woo! Go Spartans. Um, go Spartans. <laughs> <laughs> and her, her husband, Jerediah, a, a phenomenal musician, actually was in my wedding as, as, uh, as uh, one of our groomsmen. Um, so we have a wonderful relationship. Um, Alicia has a heart and, uh, for uh, the youth. And, um, and she actually got her counseling degree and, and her master's in counseling. And so she actually works in a, a detention hall and she works with, you know, at-risk youth. And um, so I just kind of wanted to just uh, kind of have Alicia just kind of talk about her background and kind of give us some more insight about, um, about that. Because we, our mission statement at the church is all making disciples of all. And this is an aspect I think that we can look into about discipleship. Uh, that our church would really benefit from your expertise, Alicia. Mm -hmm. uh, Meg wants to add anything? Yeah, go ahead, Meg. Oh, well, there's so much to add. <laughs> I mean, Alicia's amazing. Um, the brother, elder brother Beardsley uh, knows her well. That's she calls right. him grandpa from back in quizzing yeah. days. So there's a connection she has yeah, even out here. Phenomenal to, quizzer back in yeah, the day, yeah. Even out here to Newark. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we love her and her husband. They've been good friends and uh, multi-talented, you know, praise uh, singer, worshiper, musician, uh, as well, along with Counselor, her yeah. husband. And um, yeah, tonight we just thought what would be great is to just hear this journey into counseling. Um, since Alicia is um, uh, Pentecostal, grew up in church, you know, this journey into counseling and then um, specifically with the population she's ended up with, because we know she's talked to us before about it yes. being her favorite Mm -hmm. she's worked with and I just yeah. think there's um there's a lot of you know there's some treasures in there about listening to your journey and then how you landed where you are so they're not she, also she's um you guys are in North Carolina now so they're yes. not in Michigan currently now but have have moved a couple places be, before getting um to North Carolina and so mm -hmm. yeah I mean there's lots to say about her but tonight that's what we're <laughs> focusing on <Yes>. so <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much. That was really nice. Yeah, we love you. So go ahead. Tell us about tell us what you have for us tonight. Okay, so I'll just start kind of at the beginning. Um, so I always have had uh, involvement with the youth group growing up in church. Not only was I always involved in Bible quizzing and everything, um, but I also always was involved with the youth group even after I had quote unquote aged out. 
I was part of the youth committee, part of the youth staff, and Arash and I actually both were uh, worked together doing that stuff. So I always enjoyed doing that. And then, um, as Meg mentioned, being involved with music, um, I was involved with like the section with the district of Michigan doing different music things and a lot of times working with youth. Um, doing different youth events and things like that. So I just always had had a hand in working with youth. Um, and it was just something I always enjoyed and loved doing. And um, so as I got older, when I graduated and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I prayed about it. And I asked God, I, I told God, I said, I don't care about the money. I just want a career that's going to complement my ministry, that's going to go hand in hand with ministry, that's going to be easy to do ministry along with. And God definitely answered that prayer um, 100%. But so I went to school, I really was enjoying my psychology classes, and I knew that was the direction that I wanted to go. And so I went, um, graduated from MSU, go Spartans. And then um, I went on to Western Michigan University and graduated there um, with a counseling psychology degree. And part of that was an internship. So I did an internship. And when it was time for my internship, I could not find a placement to do my internship at until I had a friend who opened a door for me to work in prison. And so I was like, mm, I don't know about that. But then I was like, you know what, if I just do it. I'll get my internship done. It's just three months. If I absolutely hate it, it's just three months and I'm done. I'll be okay. And so that actually ended up turning into right after I graduated that place um, where I worked, they offered me a job. And so I worked right out of college, had that job, and I ended up working in prison for three years. So it ended up not being absolutely horrible. It is a very difficult environment to work in for sure. Um, but it also was a great learning ground for me. I grew a lot working there and learned a lot working there. Um, and so I worked in a few different environments in the prison, um, worked with the developmentally disabled some, and but mainly worked um, just kind of with general population, with adult males in a higher security setting. Um, so what that means is they're kind of more behavioral issues, I guess, is an easy way to say it. Um, and then felt called to move to Texas, um, had an opportunity to do ministry there. And so moved there for a while. And then uh, um, my husband felt a need to go help a friend of his who had a church here in North Carolina and help build that church. And so that's what brought us to North Carolina. And so we came here and while I was here, I was applying to different jobs and <clears throat> got the interview for the job with juvenile justice and kind of keeping a long story short, I ended up working in, uh, it's called a youth development center. And so it's working with delinquent youth and um, it's when they are, have a long-term commitment and a long-term stay. And so God totally opened the door. And I remember thinking, um, when I had started in prison that I just really felt like God had opened that door for me. And I wasn't sure why I had no idea why, because I didn't feel like I was meant to work in the prison setting, but I knew that God opened the door for me because I had been looking at all of the other 
in and then at the last minute it just worked out for me to get the internship there and i remember feeling like it was god that's why i was there and when i applied for when i was doing the interview for the job with the juvenile justice here i remember just thinking this is this is why because i had had that experience with the population that's involved with criminal justice that had prepared me for this and so this um when i stepped into this i was like this is why this is where i'm supposed to be and i remember thinking too like i've always been involved with youth with youth groups and youth praise teams and things like that and and when i got there and really enjoyed it i was like of course i enjoy this like i've always worked with youth and this is the way of bringing those two worlds together where I'm working with youth and I am doing psychology, I'm doing therapy, which I really is so interesting and that I enjoy and I'm working with the population that I love. So that's kind of like the journey that brought me to where I am. Do you have any other questions? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> it brought you to work with youth. Um, what do you think one of the, uh, um, the challenges working with youth, uh, delinquent youth, what, do you, what have you noticed in your, um, in your experience? Um, the challenges, um, one of the biggest for what I do is that it takes them a long time to get to where I am. And so they have a lot going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they've got a lot going on with their families. Um, the environments that they grow up in are difficult many times. And so they've had many years of this environment and getting in trouble. And then they end up where I am. And then I work with them for about a year and then we send them away. And so sometimes they go home, sometimes they're going um, to a step down placement or things like, and a step down placement is kind of like another placement that's not home, but it eases them toward going home. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that explains it very well. Go ahead and ask if you have any questions about that. But um, so we don't have them for very long. After they've had years of developing their way of thinking and behaving, we only have like that year with them. It's very intensive for sure. And we do see improvement before they leave. Um, but it's just hard because you know that they've had years of developing that way and you work with them for about a year, you've got like this short time frame to make a difference to try to put a dent in it and then they're gone and so i think that that is really challenging because it feels like sometimes you have so much that there is to do and so little time to try to help and give support in so that's probably one of the most challenging i would say would um i, I know you in our, in our conversations you, you mentioned about um empathy and um mm -hmm. You said that, that that's lacking in a lot of these individuals. Yeah, so a lot of times, and it makes sense, in, in, when you think back to when you were a teen, you know, you, you made decisions that you didn't necessarily, you didn't think about how it would impact other people or in how it would impact the long run. Because actually, as we um, age, we start using that type of thinking more. But in general, the way that our brains are, as it develops when we're teenagers, we don't use that part of our brain that is forward thinking and thinking about the big picture and that's thinking about consequences and down the road. 
And so it's very normal for kids. And if you think back to when you were a teenager, you made some really stupid decisions, right? I know I made some really stupid decisions. And because you just weren't thinking through the consequences, you weren't thinking through the future. But then a lot of times, too, you're not thinking about anybody else. You don't think about like taking someone else's perspective and how does this impact them? And it's to some degree, it's very normal for teenagers, right? Now with the teenagers that I work with, it's many times a little bit stronger because they've had a lot of consequences that they are not learning from also that are right now. Um, but so one of the things that we focus on when they come in is we focus on helping them think about that and helping them think about how your actions have impacted others. How have they impacted your victim? How did it impact your victim's family? How did it impact your community? How did it impact your family? How has this impacted you? And so every kid that comes in, we have that discussion with them and help them think and try to take some perspectives of others to realize when you're acting, it doesn't only impact you, it impacts others as well. You know, we have small children. So with <laughs> Rosh and I both on the call tonight, people are probably like, where are their kids? Well, <laughs> the TV's babysitting, but the TV can't respond. So Arash had to respond to something. Um, but he had us on mute. And when you said that you made some stupid decisions as a teenager, he said, I remember. Yes, he remembers some of them. <laughs> Which I'm like, Alicia never made a stupid decision. No, maybe you, no. But, um, you know, as you were talking about that, I hope I'm not stealing questions from our uh, uh, audience here in, a, in a, a few minutes, but... You know, I always, um, I studied criminal justice and had an interest and interviewed for Department of Corrections, things like that, um, you know, in my earlier years before getting married and then moving out to St. Louis and pursuing a different path. But um, I always think of, you know, I got a lot, you know, as someone who grew up in, you know, church as a Christian and being a woman, I, I think through that lens a lot. And so I thought when interviewing you, how interesting it might be to hear about um, uh, what it was like to pursue counseling, um, because sometimes there can be tension with that, uh, which I think is getting better in a lot of um, Christian circles, but tension between uh, being a Christian and counseling. And, but also um, pursuing, like when you said that you were in prison ministry, uh, with the male population that were kind of higher security, you know, as a woman, what was that like, you know, did you think, well, I won't lead you into answering <laughs> questions, how to answer the question, but you know, what was that like? So I guess I kind of have two questions, but you can answer however yeah. you want. Okay. Um, so Thankfully, I was very blessed with having pastors and family that totally supported counseling and going me going into psychology. Um, a lot of my family actually is involved in the field. And so I really was blessed to have that. So I never had any real, um, I guess, resistance or um, anything I did have um, when I 
was working at um, the prison, there was um, another psychologist that I was working with. And he did mention to me that because he knew he was kind of familiar with the church that I went to, not my specific church, but the type of church, I guess, like our denomination, UPC, um, and not even necessarily UPC, but just conservative Christian, I would say. He was familiar with that. And he had grown up in conservative Christian culture or home. I'm not sure. I don't know all the details, but he did say, you know, I have a similar background as you. And he said, it must have been really hard because I know it was really hard for me when I went into psychology mm -hmm. because the whole idea was you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that's how you get through things. And he's like, it must have been really hard. And I remember thinking, thankfully, it wasn't really hard for me. I had a lot of support and help. So for me, at least just with where I was, um, I didn't have a lot of difficulty with it at all. I had a lot of support. So Your I'm really just amazing. She has amazing yeah. parents. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes so don't surprised with that yeah. answer. Blessed with the best. Um, and as far as being a woman, um, definitely, definitely by far, that's most noticeable in prison for sure. Um, it is definitely very aware to you that you are a woman. Um, and so there is, it's not all bad. There's plenty bad with it, but um, there are some good things to it because I think as a woman, especially in prison, when there's not a lot of interaction with women, um, that there's a vulnerability that can come with that to where they'll be a little more easily, they might open up a little more easier I'm not using the right grammar, but they might open up easier. Um, and, you know, they're willing to have a session and things like that. So there is some good to it, but it is definitely very challenging because um, it is what you would imagine it is difficult being a woman in a male prison. Um, you're very aware of it and um, it can be very difficult, very challenging. Um, did but, the, did like that prison it. have a women's ward or was it not? No, nope. well, it man. was all Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very noticeable whenever there's a woman in the room, right? Because it's mostly men and there are women corrections officers, mm -hmm. um, but it's, there's more men officers, you know, so it is very noticeable. And especially um, because I wear dresses or skirts um, a lot of the time that kind of amplifies it as well that draws um uh, but thankfully you know um a lot of times a lot of comments i got was about what religion are you are you amish and you know i got a lot of questions <laughs> on those so sometimes it was kind of nice because it kind of you know kept the conversation in a more pleasant place so <laughs> well, that sounds like it did that's right yeah. were there other women counselors there too or were there mostly male did they try you know was there more of a male because you know in other um environments you know women and counseling is probably it's probably a field where there are more women anyway yes but yeah. maybe not in the prison population so i was wondering if the prison population have more of the male counselors or no mm -hmm. not necessarily where i was yes that was the case oh okay. and in the few different prisons that i um worked around and in um I believe that was the case at all of them 
that it was mostly men. Uh, Alicia, um, what level maximum security prison did you work at? Because I know there's different levels. I don't know if yes. I, maybe our audience isn't familiar with that. If you could maybe. So in Michigan, at least, I don't know um, how other states are, but in Michigan, there is one and two that are minimum security and four and five that are maximum security. So um, the depending on the offenses or different behaviors in prison like that will kind of put you in those different categories. And so the prison that I was at was level two and level four, and we did have some level five prisoners or well, inmates. What signifies level five and four? Um, uh, so just depending on the behaviors or um, the offenses, I think it's usually for the behaviors. So like if they were getting in trouble a lot in prison, being violent or aggressive in prison a lot, then they would go to level five. So would you say like someone who's committed murder, would they be a level two or would they be a level five or it depends on their behavior? It depends. And it depends on the, the actual offense category. Um, and just, well, cause you know, like there's premeditated murder, there's, you know, manslaughter, you know, so it just depends on the, the charge and then also their behavior. So it's not necessarily a straight answer as far as I know. And I'm not fully versed in all the legal aspect of things. So, so when you were counseling, it was, was it a wide range of offenses or was it morally minimal? Offenses? Yeah, it was pretty wide range, pretty wide range. Mm -hmm. Now working with the youth, are the other therapists and counselors more women uh, or uh, not necessarily? It, I think they are. I would say they are more women. I would say they are. Hmm, interesting. And the, and the mm -hmm. youth, is, it, it's mixed, right? Or is it, is it, or is it predominantly um, boys? Where I work, it's mostly boys. There's a few other facilities, or it is boys. It's all boys where I work. Um, it's mostly boys. There are like three facilities that are all male. And then there's one facility that is female and male. Oh, I never thought about how, if that's uh, kind of se separated, like a prison would be. I never thought of that on a juvenile level. So they do that mm -hmm. on a juvenile level as well. Mm -hmm. And then juvenile, what, what, what does that mean? What's the age range for juvenile? So it depends, but it's generally like 12 to, we just had raised the age. So now it could be like, we could have someone involved in the juvenile justice system up to the age of 21. Oh, okay. But that, that would be like, if they came in younger. They wouldn't come in at the age of 21. Mm -hmm. So they would come in if they were like 17 and then they stayed at a YDC for a while and then they were on like probation. What is the, um, the number one offense you see in, in, uh, in the juvenile halls of the boys? Probably like breaking and entering. Okay. Um, larceny, I would say probably those types of things is what you see the most. And what's larceny? Larceny is like stealing. Okay. It would be the, an easy way to say it. So just theft. Mm -hmm, right. Like theft type things. Do you get a lot of murders or no, not for juveniles? No, 
there are some, um, but it's pretty rare. When I first came in, um, you know, so, I mean, since I've been in, I guess I should say, since I've been in probably like one, you know, not a lot. There's, and when you think about throughout the facilities, you know, there's probably uh, in a, in a year, maybe one or two, it's not very, I don't And I don't know how accurate that is. I'm just kind of guessing based on my facility that and then may how not many, be quite accurate. How many boys per facility? Um, so it depends on the facility we have. There's one facility that has many more that's much bigger than we are. Um, but I would say on average, like the nor like there's a few that are about our size and that's about 40. Oh, okay. So 40. So it's mm-hmm. not four or 500. It's like 40. Per facility. Yeah. Per facility, okay. And then the, the one that's larger has more than that. Much more is my understanding. Oh, that's interesting. But not, um, not, it's not like we have thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's 40 and then you work on what you work on all 40 or do you have like a certain like 10 or 15? So I work with all 40 in a general sense. Like there's, but there's two psychologists where I work. And so we, we try to kind of split it in half. So like I would have 20 on my caseload, he'd have 20 on his, but we also will see each other's kids for different things. So like some of my kids might be in his therapy group or I might see one of his kids for a special um, therapy modality, or um, if he's not there, I'll see one of his kids. Or if there was an emergency over the weekend and I'm on call, I'll go see. So we kind of um, share all of them, but we focus on our caseload, like half of them. What are um, these these juvenile uh, kids, what kind of family environments are they coming out of? Is it a... Uh, uh, it's a mixture. It's a mixture. There are some um, that come from, I guess you would say, maybe like intact homes, you know, with both parents and siblings and stuff. Um, some come from homes with where they live with their grandparents um, for different reasons. Some are in DSS custody when they come to us. Um, What's some, DSS custody? What's DSS? DSS custody. So DSS is Department of Social Services. Okay. So that would be if they needed to be taken out of the home for a while, that could be um, orphans, that could be um, just because they were getting getting into trouble um, and just like different circumstances around that. So it's not necessarily because of abuse and neglect necessarily, but it could be because of stuff like that, but not necessarily. And um, so some, and some come from single parent family homes. Some, um, you know, are living with a foster parent, you know, so we have kind of all kinds of. So so there's not one overarching um, commonality among all the. I wouldn't say so. It's just, it's just kind of an electric sort of group of people and. There's not so mm-hmm. much commonality between all of them. Okay. There might be if you really looked into it, but just from like obvious glancing, you know, from my observation, you know, I, I would say um, 
and I'm not trying to make a connection. I wouldn't say that there's a connection because again, this is just from what I see. Um, I'm not saying that there is a connection. I would say that most of the time, um, it's not like a two-parent home. Most of the time, it's not from that. Um, like I said, the what you would think of as like the cohesive home, um, family, both parents there, right? So I would say most of the time it's not that. But again, I haven't looked into the research behind it or anything, so I can't really speak definitively on that. But. And, and, and you said empathy, that seems to be a common theme. They seem to all lack empathy. Right. We, we make sure that we discuss that with all of them to help them practice thinking about perspective taking. So what do you think this experience is like for someone else? And so we definitely work on that with all the kids to remind them to be thinking about that. And we try to help them practice using that part of their brain that's forward thinking and planning ahead and um, looking at the bigger picture. So we definitely try to help build that kind of build that muscle in their brain. <laughs> what are what are some exercises that you do um, with your clients that uh, helps them to develop empathy? Because I know that's that's not all not just not only. Uh, teenagers, I think sometimes even working with developers, yeah. that, that seems to be a muscle that we need to really flex on. And what are, what are some of the techniques yeah. that you're familiar with? Uh, so one thing is the perspective taking where you um, will just kind of tell them, what do you think that that was like for that person? So you might just ask them and kind of help them practice that and kind of um, give them some other ideas about, well, may, do you think they could have felt this way? Do you think it might've been like that? So you kind of help them try to take on the perspective of another person. Um, another thing that um, I don't do this, I have not done this, but that sometimes people will do is, um, or that has been done to build empathy is to kind of take someone who has been through a similar experience to what they had. So um, let's say someone, you know, robbed somebody, then they might have someone who was the victim of a robbery and bring them together and let them speak and let that person who was a victim of robbery explain, this is what it was like for me. And so again, that's not something that I do, but that's something that people have done. Um, so then that way they can see and hear exactly what it's like for someone who has been through that. Uh, another thing, what um, you might, what we do actually at my facility, we've just recently gotten some training to do this is something called circles and it's part of the restorative justice practices. And it is where you sit around in a circle with a group and you just talk basically. And um, you talk about different topics, different things. And so everybody gets a chance to share what they think, what they see, what their perspective is, right? And then everybody gets a chance to listen to each other. And so it's a way of helping people build connections with each other and then it's also a way to hear someone else's perspective and learn what it's like for somebody else. And it teaches them to take time to understand what it's like from someone else's perspective. And so it's something um, with restorative justice, the circles are done in all kinds of environments all around. It's not just a juvenile justice thing, um, but it's something that we are trying to implement and make very normal in our program to where it's normal to just kind of circle up and talk together and learn from each other. 
Um, so those are a few different things. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think we have some questions and I'm going to have Meg do that. So okay. I'm going to rejoin. I don't know gonna, how you want to do that. Go I'm going to rejoin for this part of the conversation. And I actually have a, a question of my own to start it off, if that's all right, Alicia. Yes. And as you're talking yeah. about the process of working with these young people, I was just thinking it, at a high level, broad brush, what would you consider, because I was thinking how you said typically you may have up to a year to work with these young people before they end up, you know, returning back to some other environment. So in an ideal situation, what would you consider a success? Some young person comes so, into the program, you spend a year with them. At the end of the year, what are you hoping has happened? Okay, so for me, I guess my answer would be that a lot of times they come in with behavioral issues. And so obviously one goal and something that generally is expected is to see the behavior kind of even out and to where they're not fighting a lot. They're not, um, you know, doing things that would get them in trouble. They're following the rules, they're being respectful and um, you know, they're not doing things that would get them in trouble. So that's definitely a big, easy one, right? Um, but another thing that I would want to see for me is one thing that I try to measure is are they managing their emotions? So for the kid who, I mean, even to one way that people don't always think about it is sometimes the way that people manage their emotions is they just avoid everything. So like that kid might look like a kid that's always in his room and he just avoids his peers. And that's how his behavior improves is because he's avoiding problems. Right. So I would want to see what I would love to see is a kid who's not avoiding things, but he is out and about and he's interacting with people and he's facing difficult situations or frustrating situations or annoying situations. And instead of blowing up, now he is learning to calm himself down, think through before he's reacting to different things. And so like seeing some of those types of things where they're thinking things through before reacting calming themselves down in a situation before they react. Those are the types of things that I want to see and hearing them talk forward thinking right. about their goals, their future. So seeing some of that impulse control, delayed gratification that they're okay with some of that stuff and planning ahead and then seeing their behavior improve because of those things. Okay. So let me go to, I've, we've gotten probably three different questions that in essence all ask the same kind of thing. So this is not a specific question. This is me just kind of taking amalgamation of, of several different people who've asked things along the same line. And basically for you as an apostolic minister, right, working in the counseling profession in a juvenile uh, detention facility, are you able to share your faith or what does that look like or how does that work or do you have opportunities to do that i mean we're not asking for details but do you have a story about a time where maybe right. your faith came through and the gospel message was able to reach one of these young people can you i'm throwing this right. all at you because they're different you know are you allowed to pray with these young people what does this look like right so um the answer is not a lot because especially in the field in my field you know um there is a lot of influence that you have. And so it is part of our training and it's just part of our expectations in the field that you be very careful not to let, and I, I don't, I, I want to use the right word, but 
that you're not um, using that influence to uh, have someone else start believing what you believe, I guess is the easy way to say it, right? Um, and so I don't do a lot of, of that. Now, um, we have a chaplain. We have a chaplain who works at our facility who is the re- person that you refer to for spiritual religious things. So, mm-hmm. but being an apostolic and being a believer in my field, if someone that I'm working with brings up um, something of their belief in Christianity and their belief of something, then I might work with them about that just because, and I, and I, even then it's not the focus, it's never the focus of what we do, but, you know, I might, um, you know, share a verse that was inspiring and helpful to me or that I think might apply to this situation if I feel like it would help them. And they've already said that they believe that and that's something that's important to them. Um, so I, you do, it is something that you have to be careful about. Um, but there is those little opportunities where, um, where you can. And I think really, to me, I think the biggest way that I minister is even unintentionally, because I think just having the Holy Ghost in a setting like that, you just walk into the room and there's a peace that comes with you. And there's just the presence of God that is with you. That I've had so many people comment to me about how you just have a calmness about you. Like you're just so calm. And when we come in, we just, and I know that that's just the peace of God. And so sometimes, well, not sometimes, probably the biggest amount of ministering that I do is just walking in the room and the spirit of God being with me and just being there. The presence. Mm-hmm. Just the, the presence of God that walks with you. We could yeah. do that for a whole evening, couldn't we? About how <laughs> yeah. At times, our Christian witness does not have to be the words that come out of our mouth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Let me pick one of these yeah. other questions that came in. Um, what was the youngest person person age-wise that you have worked with in these environments um in these environments probably 13 was so the youngest. Right at the I've beginning had of what we for the teenage years huh yep i've had a few who were 13 when they and came they, in and at age 13 they already found themselves in a juvenile detention program yes and you don't just fall into it you have the way that it's set up where we are you know, if you're getting in trouble, then they're going to first try to do what they call like diversion programs. So they're going to try to have you do community Mm -hmm. service, to have you do these different things. And if you continue having trouble, even with that, they'll try that, they'll try that. And if you continue, or if it's a really serious offense, you know, then that's when you would come to us. But nobody, it's like their first time getting in trouble come to us unless it's very serious but you don't have a, a young person who has stolen something from a store and then ends up immediately in a juvenile detention center. right right there's, if by the time they get to you there's unfortunately already a, a history of bad decisions huh exactly yes okay we have a member on our pastoral team her name is debbie pierce our church congregation will know who she is and to our congregation if you did not know this Once upon a time in one of her former careers, Sister Debbie was a high school math teacher, and she taught in an alternative high school for children who were actually returning from juvenile detention centers. And Mm -hmm. so she posted a question tonight, just as a 
you know, former math teacher who worked with kids as they're coming out the other end of a program like you, what does education look like during the time they're in a program with you? Are they in the school? Are they doing regular work? What, what happens there? Mm -hmm. So when they come to where I am, they have um, their housing unit that kind of has all the rooms in like a living area. And then um, there's also classrooms in the building. And so they just kind of like walk out of their housing unit and then they can just walk to a classroom. And so we have about four classrooms and maybe like I five, I guess we have five classrooms. And so they'll go to the classrooms um, and they'll have class. And so they have like a full day of class. Um, With the same teacher or are they moving between? Nope, so they rotate. They have or? like blocks. So oh. they do where I, where I am, and this isn't true at all facilities. Some facilities go by housing unit. So that would be multiple grades in one class. But where I am, they do try to split it up by class. So they'll have like eighth graders together and 11th graders together. So they do try to keep them together. And, and then teachers in these facilities, like someone yep, who's an so English we have, teacher or a math teacher or something. Yep. So we have an English teacher, math teacher, social sciences teacher, a science teacher. And then we also have like, um, you know, um, like special education teacher and some just kind of like substitute teachers who will kind of rotate for whenever one teacher is gone or things like that. And we do have a GED program also for some of the older kids who um, maybe they really didn't go to school a lot when they were in the community. So they don't have a lot of credits um, to where they would be able to graduate. Finish high school. Yeah. Yeah. So we do try to help offer that for those. All right. Uh, this is me just tagging onto that because I just heard you mention special education. Do you see uh -huh. young people in your program who have uh, special needs? Yes. Yep. So um, many of them do, I would say. Probably the majority of them do and would have like an IEP um some sort of individualized education foundation. program for those of you who are not familiar with an IEP. Once upon a time, I worked yeah. for a school district. So I, yeah. I um, so again, tagging onto that with those special education needs, do you see many of them that are uh, behavioral? Yes. Special ed needs, special yeah. needs. Or serious emotional Mm -hmm. serious emotional needs or um, behavioral but there is also some that are learning disabilities or there's ADHD and mm -hmm. sometimes there's um, intellectual disability and um, occasionally some autism so you do kind of see the whole you end up seeing a spectrum realm. of different things yeah yeah and if I understood you correctly it sounds like many of the students who end up in this program have some sort of learning or behavioral or emotional disability right. that I would imagine was at least a contributing factor to where they ended up. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. We have another gentleman in our church who said, question, I've worked with youth in different capacities for many, many years as a little league coach, right? For preteens and then early teens. Cool. And I found it difficult to keep indirect with some of these youth to direct them towards a right decisions. And I could already see 
the path that was leading them towards possible detention centers or trouble moving forward. So knowing that a lot of those programs in that, those youth in that sport program he worked with came from broken homes with parents who were not involved in their lives much, what would be a good way to help engage them to begin to understand empathy, as you talked about, before they get too deep into trouble and quite frankly, they end up right. working with someone like you. So yes. people in our church who maybe work with a sports program or they work with you know younger people, maybe fifth, sixth grade, something like that. These preteens, early teens, do you have some advice for helping people begin to help these troubled young people develop some of these skills before they end up in a facility like where you work? Yeah. So one thing that I want to say is you're doing an awesome job doing what you do, because one big thing that I see a lot is that these kids, um, a lot, many of them say contribute a lot of what they did to, I was bored. I didn't have anything to do. And, you know, so, you know, and so a lot of times, pause, 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 please repeat. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've heard many times, you know, while I was bored and so I went out and then I ended up getting in trouble or whatever. Right. So literally a lack of engagement yeah. led them to and destructive so, behavior. Right. And because, I mean, and if you think about, right, when you're a teen, if you don't have things to do, then you get bored and you have energy, right? You've got all this energy, the youthful energy. So you're going to go out and do something, right? And so by doing what you do with like Little League and things like that, you're giving them a something to do that's a positive thing. That's not going to be getting in trouble. That's not going to be, um, you know, tearing something up or whatever. Right. So yeah. just, I just want to start with that. Decision. Right. So just giving them an activity to do is huge. Um, and so another piece that I would do and that I would say, which is a very difficult, this one's the difficult side of it is that a lot of times the one-on-one giving them some one-on-one time, where you sit down and you spend that time with them and talk to them and hear them so that they know what it's like to feel understood and heard. So they know that side of it. Because I think sometimes if you've never felt like anybody cared about you, then it's hard to think about caring about other people. Um, And so I think that one-on-one time of hearing them and trying to understand them is a way of helping. Um, And then, like I had mentioned, kind of helping with that perspective taking of, you know, well, what do you think that was like for so-and-so when that happened? So just asking questions to help them think about other people's perspectives. Yeah. And you could, like, if, you know, if they had a buddy that they got into it with at the practice or whatever, and you know, their buddies, you know, you know, it's easy for them to talk through. You could have that conversation. Well, what was that like for you? You know, sit them down together. Let's talk about this. Well, what happened? You know, why did it happen? What was that like for you when that happened? What was that like? And listen to both of them. What was that like for you when that happened? And and then talk about, you know, how can we move forward in a good way? Um, but those are some ideas to start with, for sure. Thank you. Uh, another question mm-hmm. for you. And, and by the way, we've had other counselors and, and things on here. And so I understand I'm trying to figure out how to thread this needle. If you cannot answer the question, that's we understand that. That's fine. You could say, you know what, I, I'm not able to. Is there a way that you might be able to share a story of a time where you saw God working in a situation where you were interacting with a young person? In one of these um, let's see. I, I'll have to think about it and kind of 
try to see if there's a way. Do you let that um, one circulate in the back of your mind? And, and okay, you, that's a good idea. And, and that's if, a you, good idea. if just trying to work through those parameters, you're not able to, we understand that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Another question was, how would you encourage our young people, say those who are in the church, to reach out and help other young people they interact with who who are not in our kind of environment, who are struggling to make good decisions and they're in an environment that's not healthy and it's causing them harm. Mm -hmm. so how can uh, our my, young people try to possibly yeah. connect so, or help people in those One situations? thing is, it's kind of similar, is you know, talk to them, hear from them and what it's like for them, but then also invite them to do those positive things that you're doing. So if you're going out and just getting ice cream with some friends that you know are a positive influence, invite them to go do that fun thing with these good influences, with these good peers. Um, because a lot of times they so it get doesn't caught up just with have the wrong. to be inviting them to church. Yeah, exactly. And so I hope our young be... people are listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as yeah. simple as just inviting them to tag along for positive activities. That's Can nice. I just cut in for one second? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm saying this laughing, but I think it's really true. I'm sure Rosh will agree. And I saw Armand is listening as well. I saw him hop on the feed. That's a Rosh's brother. So yeah, they, you know, they're very close with this family. Uh, they grew up in Alicia's like house, you know, with her parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really close, you know, and honestly doing things like that through the church, you know, they were teens when they came in and right. I guarantee you, someone paying for their ice cream at a youth outing or going to church. And I mean, this is why Rosh is such a mooch because he <laughs> learns to be like, oh, dinner plans? Um, I'd love to come along. I'll just get a soda. Oh, you're going to share your appetizer? Thank you. We're on live TV. Uh, doing? <laughs> I, I don't want to turn no, this into right. a, a marriage therapy session. Were there times in, in your, uh, you know, for you and your brother Armand and your younger sister, were there times where just yeah. simply having people inviting you to tag along as teenagers come yes. and just getting yeah. ice cream? Well, those we kind all of experiences went out and we positive. all paid individually to go out. <laughs> and no, I'm just saying that I think seriously that that's something that kept them from other activities. That is, that is true. Um, that is as true. young people, because they, that's, um, because the church was so influential in that way in those relationships. And, and, and the other part was um, we were always at the church. We were, whether yes. we were pretending to be singing or preaching. And mm -hmm. um, and I remember I, I uh, our, our bishop, you know, because he he'd say, and I told him, I was like, is it okay that we're here? And, and he was like, I'd rather have you guys here than somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he exactly. And your bishop and was like, Alicia's parents? Alicia's grand Gr grandfather. Grandparents. Okay. Yeah. Yes. His uh, her brother-in-law now is uh, the pastor of the church, but mm -hmm. um, it, it just just so cool that, that that was the focus. Like, I'd rather have you guys here with us, and we'll deal with the issues and the mix-ups because it's uh, it's safe. It's a safe place. So that is that is that. And is. we had a group of us, yeah. so it wasn't like it was just the three of you, right? So there was a, that group of peers. So yeah. get a group of friends together that you know are positive influence get those good friends together and create like that positive peer pressure, right? To where you're inviting them to come do something. It's still with a group of friends. It's something that you guys think is fun, but it's good and it's not getting into trouble. Like that's the biggest thing for sure. 
Definitely. I feel like I've been saying for sure a lot. I'm very no, sure about a lot of this. Stuff. Very sure that this is what <laughs> she's from West California. So, <laughs> question another is a good question for you. How, um, I think we got enough time for three more questions if I can clip along. So, let me see if I can do them in an order that kind of works through this. Have you ever run into someone that you worked with in your program later on after they returned to the community? And then if so, are there protocols for that? Are you allowed to interact with that young person? What happens there? Okay, so the easy, the first answer is easy. I have not, as of yet, I have not ran into somebody. So there are protocols in that when they leave our program and um, really once they are off of the next step after us, um, then for a year, we're not supposed to have contact with them. Now, there are, you know, certain exceptions to that. If someone were involved with a program outside of work or something where it was like a professional contact with them or something like that, that might be accepted, but they would have to report that. So they would share that with our, you know, with the state that I'm working in this program. And this I'm working in this program and I ran into so-and-so who at yeah. one point was one of the young people in my counseling program. Yeah. So there's like kind of like a year where you can't have that contact, but then after that, it's okay. Gotcha. Next question. How do you remain hopeful when you have to deal with so much brokenness? Yeah, that's a, that can be very challenging at times. Um, like we've been talking about, a lot of our kids have been getting in trouble a lot before they come and for a long time. And so, and again, we just have that one year shot, if that sometimes, sometimes more, but right around there. And then, um, you know, and then they're a lot of times back in that environment or a similar environment. And so a lot of times you see them back in the system again before long. And so it can be very discouraging. Um, but the thing that I think about that helps me is I just think about every little bit of help I can make, every little bit of difference I can make is something that gives them a chance that they didn't have before. Or it's something that gives them a little bit better thinking that they didn't have before. Or every just every little bit that I can help, if it makes them think twice in one situation, that's worth it. You know, you just kind of have to think like that. and Celebrate small victories, huh? Yeah, and it's like that story of the the little girl or whatever the person on the beach who's throwing the starfish the into the ocean. The ocean there's all kinds of starfish and then people are like what are you doing you're not you're not even putting a dent in it look at all these other starfish and the kid says or the person says but i made a difference for that one and so it that's kind of the mentality that you have to have because it can be very discouraging because a lot remain involved with the system but for every bit of difference that you did make, I made a difference there. And you do have those moments with um, your students where I, you know, I had a student who was crying at the end before they left and saying, you helped me so much. And like, I'm like getting emotional even now, like you have those moments that help you through it. Um, and I think you just have to have that mentality of every little bit is a little bit. It's something that increases their chances. And if any population needs a little bit of a more chance, it's these kids, you know? So mm -hmm. that's how I do it. 
All right. So to set up my next question, I'm going to take a little um, side venture. And may I ask, if you don't mind, are you married? I am married. Okay. And the reason I ask that is we have a young adult in our church and she is engaged to be married. And she posted a question because her fiance is a correctional officer at a level five prison. Okay. okay. So that must be similar to Michigan. So she is asking as they're getting ready to get married. And I, the reason I asked you were married thinking of your spouse, what are ways mm -hmm. that she can help her soon to be husband as the spouse as you are coming home, and I imagine you probably have some very rough days, right? So yes. how does your family support you in choosing to do this line of work? Um, <laughs> it can be very hard because sometimes we deal with very heavy stuff, especially level five in prison. You're dealing with a lot of very heavy stuff. Um, so prayer is the number one thing. And the armor of God is huge. That made a huge difference for me when I was working in prison. I remember there was some times when I just felt so heavy leaving all the time. And a friend had told me that she had a similar type of experience in a different environment. And her aunt would pray for her, the armor of God. And she, she said it made such a difference. And I remember thinking about that. So I started doing it and it makes a difference. And so I start every morning praying the armor of God. So would you walk through that anyone. just just really quick? When you say the armor of God, if people are not familiar with the idea yes. of okay. the armor, what does that mean? Thank you. So in Ephesians, um, I think it's chapter six, chapter five or chapter six, it refers to putting on the whole armor of God. And it talks about putting on the helmet of salvation, the breast. I'm not doing it in the same order, but I do it head to toe. So it helps me remember the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness the belt of truth, shattered feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the, the word says that you put that on so that you can stand in the evil day and against the attacks of the devil. And so, and so taking just passage out of that. Ephesians chapter six, you just walk through that. Mm -hmm. And so I would just oh, pray, I protect my mind, protect, you know, and so I, I pray through that and that has made a huge difference. Um, and I think being sensitive, trying to, and you might just have to ask, do you want to talk about how your day went? Because there's some days where you don't want to talk to anybody when you get home. Like I'm so done talking to people. I'm so done. So there are times then, you come home and you don't want to talk about it. Yes. And so just, I just want to just be by myself and not talk to anybody and just totally, you know, isolate for a second. Um, and so maybe just asking, do you want to talk about it? And then some days it's like, I just want to get it out. I just want to tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. It was so crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and so just kind of checking. And so it might be, do you want to talk about what happened today? Because some days you do and some days you don't. But I would definitely say prayer and the armor of God every day. All right. Um, did you have a chance? I know we keep throwing questions at you to think. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you can't, that's fine. Can you think in a generic way to share a story of where you saw God at work with someone um, you were interacting with? Yeah, I think um, I can share this part of a story. Um, so I had a student that I was working with who had a lot of emotional issues. Um, and one thing that we talked about a lot is what helps you calm down. And so we would talk about music 
And this particular, this particular student loved gospel music. And so that was an easy oh, wow. avenue That's an easy to where, yes. So then when it was like, okay, you're having a rough day. Do you want to listen to some music? And so we'd listen to some gospel music and I got to play, you know, some apostolic artists. I got to play, introduce them to, you know, James Wilson and some of our artists and, you know, they loved it. And so that was a really cool experience, you know, to um, just kind of be able to share and, and you could feel God moving in those moments. And it was easy because they requested it, you know, but I think also, like I mentioned, you know, there is this unintentional thing, or I guess, you know, something you don't plan or think about that's just the Holy Ghost in you. And so, you know, there'd be times as soon as that song started playing, that kid would just tear up and just start crying. And, you know, it just would minister to them in their hard time. So that was a cool way that worked out to make it easy. Yeah. Thank you for finding a way to share that. One one final question. I know we're at the top of the hour, but um, a flip aside to the question earlier, we have someone in our church who works here in Delaware for the Department of Social Services. And the program that he works in, he said they hire a lot of re-entry adults and young adults who are coming out of detentional facilities. And so he asked, what is the best way to help them remain on a proper path forward now that they're coming back into environments where influence is playing a huge role in their life? So if you have a, not just for Scott and our church, but any of us, we have the chance to interact with someone on the other side of your program coming back out of that sort of facility. What mm -hmm. are ways that we can help them so I think similar to what I've said before keep them busy and keep them busy doing positive things so if you're gonna go um you know go clean up a yard somewhere get a couple youth and grab them too that you know get youth that'll be a positive influence on them and get them too and say hey let's go work here keep them busy doing positive things and around positive people so um, it could be, like I said, if you're just going to get ice cream, but it could be if you were going to go clean out a yard or do different things, just things help that you're good. even doing, invite them to come along with you and help. And just anything that you can do that keeps them busy doing something positive and that gets them connected with other people who are doing positive things and are positively focused, like they're wanting to go to college or they're wanting to work here and they're working on this, you know, these positive goals that they're working on because then they're going to hear them talking about that. So we talked about, you know, helping them think about, think ahead and be planning ahead and looking at the big picture. And so as you're working with this group, bring them around a group that, you know, are positive influences, positive peers that they'll have fun with and be able to see, you know, you can have fun and be busy and be doing good stuff. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I know a lot of times too, and it, and I mean, you'll notice that most of what I said had nothing to do with this, but um, you know, there is a lot of times the money factor, right? So if you can pay them to do a job, especially, you know, if you can pay them to come here and do that, a lot of times that can be a help too. And I know not everybody can do that. And so that's why most of my suggestions are not financially based or not, you know, mm -hmm. but for those who can, if you can pay, 
one of these kids to come do something for you, that's always a good, helpful thing for them. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Alicia. It's been a pleasure Absolutely. to talk to you. Enjoyed it. Yes. We are a few minutes past the top of the hour, so unfortunately, it's time for us to end this broadcast with our Friday Night with Friends. If you are joining us live as we're watching this, we, we thank you for joining us this evening, and we want to remind everybody that you can visit our church website at newarkupc.info, and on that website, you can partner with us in giving, you can submit prayer requests, you can submit baptism requests. If you're not already a part of a small group, we encourage you to check out our small groups. They're all meeting online right now during this COVID-19 situation. All of our small groups meet every week. So it's a chance to check in with your fellow church members and to pray together and catch up with each other. And so we just encourage you in general to stay connected that way. As a reminder, we do these broadcasts every single evening at 7 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday of every week. And so Four nights a week, they're pre-recorded, and two nights a week, they're live. Wednesday nights, we do a live Bible study at 7, and Friday night with friends, which we're ending right now. We have different guests on. Alicia, it was an absolute pleasure to have you join us this evening. To our thank church you. family, we thank you once again for joining us tonight. Thank you for your involvement and submitting all those questions, and we pray that you have a blessed night, a great weekend, and we'll see you tomorrow at 7 p.m. Good night, church. Okay.